The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a warm welcome to this Friday edition of Squawkbox with myself and Mr. Jeff Cutmore. And these are your headlines. U.S. President Joe Biden and the Chinese President Xi Jinping speak for the first time in seven months with the leaders of the two superpowers agreeing to avoid conflict by managing competition between the two nations. Wall Street, though, extending losses despite an improving employment picture, whilst Asian equities bounce back as Chinese tech stocks recover from more gaming regulation. Very good morning, everybody. The European Central Bank announces plans to trim emergency pandemic support, but President Lagarde insists this is not a taper. The lady isn't tapering. Because what we are doing is recalibrating uh, PEP, which I remind you is the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme. Prosecutors uh, raid Germany's finance ministry just three weeks ahead of elections in a move that could damage frontrunner Olaf Scholz. Speaking ahead of the news, former SPD leader Martin Scholz told CNBC the finance minister would bring positive changes to the chancellery. And Olaf Scholz is representing uh, a kind of uh, a new political style instead of uh, either or uh, both. Plus, the U.S. President Joe Biden makes a plea for Americans to get jabbed as he announces sweeping vaccine mandates and fines for those who break the rules. You've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. So a very warm welcome, everybody, to the programme this Friday. Let's kick off with that Xi-Biden conversation. The US president and the Chinese president have now held their first phone call in seven months, with the White House saying the conversation was aimed at managing competition between the two countries. Both leaders uh, discussed ensuring competition doesn't lead to conflict. Chinese state media characterised the call as candid while reporting that both sides agreed to keep in regular contact. And I think this is, uh, Steve, uh, and a very good morning to you, by the way. I think this is something, obviously, that should be broadly welcomed. It is quite incredible that we're talking about the leaders of the world's largest and second largest economies. And there's been a drought of conversation and exchange between them over the last seven months here. And I think anybody who has a vaguely historical chip on their shoulder will look back on the history of the human civilization and realize that ultimately conflict and cooperation have marked our relations, particularly between countries, and trade in particular has been at the core of many of those uh, disagreements. And so as we think about conflict and cooperation here, I think it is important, even if we disagree with competing political systems and we dislike the way that some governments go about their business, 
at least keeping a channel of communication open at this stage is important. And I think it would be wrong of us to be too arrogant in the West to argue that our system is the only one that offers any benefits in certain sectors of the economy. And we're talking the economy given that we're CNBC. So maybe there are one or two things that we could exchange ideas on and actually benefit from mutually, even as I think clearly in the short term, we all recognize that there are problems in the relationship and there are things that need to be done uh, to address uh, the whole question of, um, uh, you know, tra- transfer of technology, uh, the way that markets are open on some sides and not on others, and the more recent disagreements, obviously, about uh, geostrategic ambitions and opportunities. Um, I think it's great, but it's only one channel. And I appreciate the fact that it is very symbolic that she uh, and Biden were on the phone together. But as as far as I can see, Jeff, as well, uh, there's always been channels of communications at various levels, whether it be corporates to corporate, state to uh, to different regions in China on a a, a lower level and uh, politics as well, uh, government to government. And they are having conversations about a whole host of things on a regular basis. But this is the symbolism uh, of the two leaders talking as well. It's great. As you quite rightly say, if they can keep things civil and keep a lot of the uh, the more fractious nature of the relationship under control. But we know that the issues are still there. This conversation will change nothing about some of the key issues. It will change nothing about their trans-Pacific rivalry. It will change nothing uh, about their concerns, both of them, over Taiwan, about the Uyghurs, about the democracy in Hong Kong as well, uh, about the treatment of corporations, Chinese corporations, and what they can and can't do with US investors as well, and vice versa for international investors uh, in China as well. So I love the symbolism and I love the civility and I think it's very good news and I can see why the markets are, are rallying on but it will not change nothing on those bigger issues some of which you've alluded to there yeah no I, I, I don't disagree with you on that I mean clearly what needs to happen next is deeds and not words as uh, as we always point out on this channel and I think for for those who are rushing in to buy the market on the belief that there's some warming now of friendship between these two leaders. Well, obviously, that would be a mistake here. I think we just need to see what comes down the stream uh, following this meeting and whether ultimately we get any significant movement on some of those key issues that you've mentioned. Uh, well, moving on, I guess we should focus on the other story that I think the market was was very interested in yesterday. The uh, US weekly jobless claims figure hit a pandemic era low last week, 310,000 Americans filing for unemployment. That was fewer than expected. In a statement, President Joe Biden called the report encouraging and uh, further evidence of a durable economic recovery. And I think probably the market's taken the right view. I don't know how you feel about this, but obviously the data point suggests that there is still a labour shortage. And this is about a shortage of labour. And it's not ultimately about a shortage of overall demand for the US economy. No, absolutely. And again, I, I couldn't understand the reaction of the scribes last week to the most random piece of data on the planet, i.e. the headline figure from the non-farm payroll. I don't under, I never have understood. I've, I've been poring over that 130 figure on a first Friday 
of a month for 33 years. And I still didn't understand why people got so worked up about big miss on the employment data as well. Well, actually, it wasn't a big miss. If you look at actually the underlying data that you get from the jolts, that you get from surveys such as the weekly jobless claims, that you got from the 5.2% unemployment rate, that you got from the average hourly uh, earnings figure rising as well. There is a whole host of data that flies in the face, plus the fact, of course, uh, the, the, the fact that a lot of people are still on some form of federal support and ca- will be coming off at some stage. Well, I never understood why the market and the headlines went so big uh, on that one number when, and actually they're trying to refuse to look at some of the other evidence. Evidence that includes the jolts data, which we had on Wednesday, yeah, that showed there are around 2 million more job vacancies than people unemployed and gainfully looking for work in the United States. Again, that just underlines what Jeff was saying. This is a supply problem at the moment, not a demand problem. And I appreciate COVID uh, and the Delta variant is, is, is skewing those figures as well. But you've got to look at all these pieces of data rather than just one flashy headline number. If that's the one thing you get away from this show, then hopefully you'll learn something. The markets are down for the week, by the way, and a lot of the declines happened in yesterday's session. I'll just tell you what the weekly moves are. Despite all of that data, the Dow's down 1.4% so far. The S&P is down 0.9% so far. The Nasdaq down by a similar margin as well. Transports, which I haven't got up here for you at the moment, transports are now over 10% away uh, from their high, which puts them in correction level. Okay, transports down at 2.1% for the week. It just shows you that not every market, and I point to the NASDAQ, not every market is t- uh, basically touching record highs. And by the way, when I remember it, talking of NASDAQ and tech investors, did you see what uh, Kathy Wood's been saying about Chinese investments? Bearing in mind our last conversation. If you haven't seen what she said, go to cnbc.com. There you go. I'm not even paid to do those adverts. Let's have a look at the treasuries. Uh, 129 I last saw. Here you go. It's picked up again since I looked at it overnight. 131 is where the 10-year paper is saying. Again, steady as she goes. It's not telling you anything about the pace of quantities. Evening, 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 easing. Good evening. That's later. Uh, I don't even drink. Uh, quantitative easing. 131 as well. Uh, 0.8 of a percent on the five-year paper as well. We did also, I should tell you, we've got some really exciting data today. Exciting for the likes of me. If you're not excited by it, I don't know. I don't know why. Producer prices. Yeah. What do you think they're going to be this time around? I don't know. But you'll get a big flashy headline figure. And if it starts with an A, wow, that is big. Dollar crosses. They're not moving too much either. Let's have a look at the uh, euro dollar, 118.32, pounds, 138.50, dollar yen, 109.88, and 6.4426 is the uh, dollar yuan pair. Really not moving on the back of that conversation. Well, a man who's always excited about events in Singapore and Asian equities. It's got to be Matt Taylor, hasn't it? Morning, Matthew. Oh, always, Steve. Uh, you know me too well. The Asian markets right now ending the week in positive territory. India closed today for a holiday, but broad gains uh, as we show you the pan-Asian heat map. New Zealand, they've already knocked off for the day. The market just managed to move into positive territory, but closing lower. But you can see broad-based gains in that 90-minute phone call between President Biden and China Xi. The key takeaway there, that competition shouldn't veer into conflict, really supporting the tone across the Asian markets. Greater China markets doing well. Hong Kong leading the gains. We've got the Hang Seng up by about 1.7%. Remember, we were down by more than 2% on that market yesterday, dragged down by the tech names. A number of those big tech names rebounding today because we saw those concerns around 
regu regulation on video games yesterday. Uh, we are seeing a fair bit of support, as you can see, right across some of these uh, really big names. Tencent, we were down sharply yesterday, up about 1.4% today. Uh, the Australian market, because I'm Australian and it's Friday and they're probably knocked off for the week as well, but I want to tell you about the situation there. The ASX 200 up about half of 1%, but another record day when it comes to case numbers in the state of New South Wales, more than 1,500 uh, local cases there. The state of Victoria also recording more than 300 cases. So the COVID situation there uh, still concerning people, but perhaps not too much when it comes to equities with a gain of around about half of 1%. Gents, back to you. Matt, terrific. Thanks very much indeed. And if we don't see you again, have a, have a great weekend. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about a, a bit about the European Central Bank here. So the bank has said that it will lower the pace of bond buying through its pandemic emergency purchase program, the so-called PEP program. But President Christine Lagarde insisted the move could not be considered tapering. Don't use the word tapering, she said. Officials also raised their inflation outlook for 2021 and the next two years as the central bank said the rebound in the eurozone is strongly advanced. The ECB kept rates near historic lows while its asset purchase program will continue at a pace of 20 billion euros a month. Well, Annette was at the meeting. She asked the ECB president what made her confident heading into 2022. I observed that since the beginning of the year, we have regularly upgraded our forecast. And if anything, we might have been on the uh, too pessimistic side uh, to begin with. We believe that, uh, you know, the economy is going to continue to benefit from uh, further unwinding of containment measures. Uh, during the second half of 21 into 22 as well. Uh, we also make the assumption that bottlenecks will be uh, circumvented uh, by the economic operators in the, uh, in the first half of 22. Uh, we believe that we will be back to the uh, pre-pandemic 2019 uh, level at the end of this year, which is two quarters uh, earlier than we had initially anticipated. <music> This next story, I, I, I find it moderately bonkers, okay, but listen to this. And, and, and extraordinary is perhaps a better word. Uh, German prosecutors have launched raids. Where do you think they've launched raids? Probably says it on my screen, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, it says it. So much for the big reveal. They've launched raids on the country's finance and justice ministries as part of a probe into allegations that the country's anti-fraud team, the Financial Intelligence Unit, did not act on tip-offs. Read that again. Can I get that right? So you've got the German prosecutors launching raids on the finance and just, justice ministry chair, part of a probe into allegations that the country's anti-fraud team, the FIU, did not act on tip-off. Isn't that bonkers? Uh, anyway, it's yet more publicity for the FIU, which uh, was criticised for its actions over the wire card scandal and could impact Finance Minister Olaf Scholz in his bid of interesting timing, eh? could impact the finance minister in his bid to become the country's next chancellor. Isn't that an extraordinary story? So you've got this, I think the timing with the election side of it is absolutely fascinating. But the fact they're doing this as well, they're having to launch raids on their own justice ministry. 
Sorry, they, they've run out of tapes. They've had to get me in vision. I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> I'm with you, Adam. All right, his centre-left uh, Social Democrat Party, this is Schultz, because uh, before I went off on one, that was what I was talking about, uh, holds a two-point lead over the CDU-CSU alliance in the latest polls. With just over two weeks to election days. Annalena Baerbock's Greens, they've lost ground and have fallen away, having been one-time favourites. Now, Bundestag member and former leader of the SPD... He was in charge of the European Parliament as well. I remember interviewing him in Ukraine as well. Anyway, Martin Schulz, we're talking about now, as opposed to Olaf Scholz, big difference, told Aneta he's not surprised by the swelling support. The uh, decision uh, of German people is strongly influenced by the question who is able to lead Germany as the biggest member state of the European Union uh, in Europe and via Europe in the world. And this is uh, neither Annalena Baerbock nor Armin Laschet, but quite sure Olaf Scholz. And for me, it was quite clear the moment people uh, start to consider uh, and to take note that Merkel is leaving and to consider who could replace her, then Scholz uh, would become uh, the leading person. And therefore, I was sure. Is it because Olaf Scholz is perhaps also seen as more or less a continuity to Angela Merkel because his style of uh, yeah, running politics is quite similar? No, I disagree. Um, okay, this is since he made this uh, sign in the uh, Süddeutsche Zeitung uh, 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 running uh, debate, but I disagree entirely. Olaf Scholz is not uh, the uh, uh, continuity of uh, Angela Merkel's politics. The other way around, uh, when you listened yesterday carefully to Angela Merkel's speech uh, strongly against the social democratic leadership in the government, uh, this is different. Uh, 46%, this is in my eyes one of the most important uh, figure of the last polls, 46% of Germans consider social justice as the most important uh, item uh, for the future. Uh, higher in the ranking than uh, climate change, fight against climate change. And Olaf Scholz is representing uh, a kind of uh, a new political style uh, instead of uh, either or, uh, both together. Do you think the pandemic has um, even put more weight on these, on social, on calls for more social justice, given that it has yeah, made the society more unequal. I think, yes, this is uh, increasingly the feeling of a lot of people, at least people to whom I speak in my constituency, across all different uh, political tendencies. Uh, yes, we must stick together instead to divide us. And I think the SPD is, uh, uh, since 156 years, the party uh, uh, representing that thinking. Let's stick together. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us as uh, we talk some more about that big story coming out of China. Gaming companies tank amid a slowdown in Chinese new game approvals and a crackdown on profit chasing. We'll tell you more about it when we come back.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. You're watching Scorebox. So China's biggest gaming companies have come under pressure this week as fears around a regulatory squeeze increase amid reports now of a summons from Beijing. Late Thursday, the South China Morning Post was reporting that Beijing has suspended all new game approvals, but later changed the article, saying the approval process has only been slowed and not paused. The crackdown on the world's biggest video game market rippled across the world, with companies like Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft, as well as Tencent's major shareholder, process uh, trading lower in yesterday's session. So what exactly is the, if you'll pardon the pun, game plan here, as far as the Chinese government is concerned? Keryan joins us, head of research at DZT. Keryan, welcome to the program. Uh, what's going on here? Is this going to be a temporary phenomenon where Beijing looks to, quote, correct behaviour it sees as uh, influencing Chinese youth in the wrong way? Or are we now seeing a much longer term shift in profit expectations for these gaming companies? Okay, good question. Uh, a short answer is that uh, we think that this is a temporary suspension of the game approval so that the uh, regulator would like to see the improvement from all these uh, uh, game operator, game studio to comply with the uh, earlier regulation. And the long story is that this is part of the uh, regulation, uh, three type of regulation that the Chinese regulator put on the online games. So these three types are number one, control the uh, number of games being approval. Uh, number two, uh, the screen time for the minor. And number three is the content uh, the content, the quality of the content of the games. And if we date back all these changes, all these regulations, we can see that from early 2018, the Chinese government has already started the regulation on the game. Uh, the main reason was that the, uh, uh, the impact on the, the social impact on the minor, uh, is, 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 is not good. It's not good at that time. And the China, the, the China, Chinese government would like to uh, control the uh, the screen time for the minor so that they uh, they are healthy, they're healthy in school. Uh, and we think that the uh, current regulation uh, will not uh, stop. They will just continue to fine-tune until the point that they feel that this, uh, this uh, uh, game operator, game studio, are developing quality games and, uh, uh, and uh, uh, become part of the uh, their plan of the social well-being of the uh, of the Chinese society. Well, we've already seen uh, Kathy Wood over at Ark Invest shift her investments in China, saying effectively that she's only going to place her bets on companies that uh, seem to be perceived as in a good light by Beijing. I think she's finally caught up with the whole idea of Guangxi and how that actually works, but. 
Uh, for other investors who are still in gaming companies, is it effectively game over if they're looking to make near-term profits? Okay, I, I think the Chinese government, uh, by controlling the number of games appro uh, approved each month, it will make the uh, the uh, the uh, planning very difficult for small players. So for big players like Tencent, you see they 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 are uh, main revenue for the game in the uh, for the online game came from these uh, few games like Owner of the King. Uh, the PUBG or the Chinese uh, in China, it is a piece of elite and the League of Legends. So these are the key games that contributed the majority of the revenue for the Tencent game. And the, don't forget for Tencent, they have uh, they have very big segment uh, other than games like social network, like fintech, like advertisement. So uh, so we, we think it's safer for the big player than the smaller player. The big player with a diversified, with technology-driven uh, uh, business business model. So, um, how do we reconcile this? And I know you don't want to talk about buy and sell recommendations and break down the individual numbers of companies. But how do we reconcile this with in being an investor in this sector? I, I hear what you're saying, and I wrote down that the government is trying to uh, lessen the social impact on miners as well. And that, that's a very noble cause in many, many ways. But for in investors, whether they be Chinese or whether they be international, what does this mean now when you've got the social impact vying for attention with the lack of profitability that's allowed from some of these companies? Okay, if you are looking at the, uh, uh, this industry, I, uh, if look, uh, looking from the investor point of view, I would, I would avoid small game studios for now, for now until uh, it gets clear that what is the uh, the end of the uh, what is the end of the tunnel uh, for the regulation for the change of regulation. So uh, I think the key point, uh, key date to look out for is the uh, October next year when the Chinese uh, Communist Party will hold their twenties twenties uh, conference. We think the uh, regulation will somewhere uh, stabilize uh, by then. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.